Welcome to Table Radio. This is the third theme in our Rooted series, Outreaching Love. The following is Vanessa's sermon from our Big Table service on Sunday, November 22nd. Enjoy. And you called it That's why we praise you. A reading from the Gospel of Luke. And in the hearing of all the people, Jesus said to his disciples, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and love greetings in the marketplaces and the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts, who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. And Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box. And he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. And he said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more than all of them. For they all contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. This is the word of the Lord. Okay, I'm Vanessa, and we are working on a core value this month, which is we long for an outreaching love for apart from authentic active service. There is no true religion. And this core longing builds on the other two we've been working on, or focusing on, which is that we are Christ-centered and word-focused, and also that we long for an inward-growing faith. And Jonathan talked about this a few weeks ago, but the idea is kind of that we don't just long for an inward growing faith for our own sake or edification or enjoyment, but for the sake of the world. And so being in this beautiful space, one way I've been thinking about this core longing of outreaching love is all the meaningful and rich and beautiful things that happen in this church. What does it look like to extend that or have it overflow in the world? And I was thinking about this specifically because we hosted another service for pregnancy and infertility loss um, at the end of October. And it's a space that we've provided once a year to acknowledge a pain that too often is suffered privately and quietly. So I think there's a slide of um, the marquee that Uh, that explain the service. And so as I was thinking about putting this service out on the marquee, I thought, even though this is such a tiny example, it it is a way of what happens in here pouring out into the public. And one of the things I think the church is richest in is meaning. Like we have so much meaning. We have these meaning making narratives like the fact that we believe there's life beyond death and joy beyond sorrow, and that there is meaning in suffering. And we have these meaning-making rituals like confession and silence and lighting candles and singing and sharing and listening to the sacred text. And so one thing this service does is it offers a space to share some of those meaning-making rituals with the world. And the marquee, the church marquee, which I'm just thinking of as that, those white things in front of churches that communicate things, like the church bulletin board for the world. 
these are little ways to um, outreach in love. And so I started paying attention to them. And there's another slide of this. This marquee is in Fairfield, a church there. And it says on it, there aren't any white people in the Bible. And I was like, wow, that's evocative. Like if I had in my imagination since I've been growing up in the church, that reality that there's no white people in the Bible, it makes me wonder like what would be different? Because um, in the West, at least, in my culture, we have definitely whitewashed the Bible. Even when we talk about Augustine, like he's a super popular guy to talk about. Um, I don't immediately picture a man from Africa, which is what he was. So we live in a very harried and hurried and heartbreaking world, and church marquees are just like the tiniest way. And I thought, I started getting all excited and thinking like, maybe if Richard asked me, yeah, Jonathan? Okay, good. Um, if, if Richard at Cool asked me to like take over the marquee ministry, what would I say as like a mini example of outreaching love? And I had all these ideas, and then I actually went to put the letters up, and um, it's so much work. I don't know if anyone has done that for Church of Our Lord, but it's like one of those games where there's one square empty and all these letters that you have to like move around, except some of the letters don't move. And um, there's a slide for this, but it shows my all my letters out on the um, ground, trying to figure out how to do it all. So it took me so long. It took me like an hour on each end to actually figure out how to um, put the letters in the right way. <laughs> so I was, I was sure I wanted this service broadcasted, but when I finally got to the outreaching love part, putting this stuff in the marquee, I thought twice. And I have a friend who moved here from the States a couple years ago with his wife from a kindred community that I was in, and he changes his church marquee like every couple, couple times a month. And um, I have a slide for it. His current marquee says, as you loved, as you cared for the homeless folks, you cared for me. And again, I was thinking, wow, this is such a powerful way to, to do outreaching love, to communicate that what happens in the church is not meant to stay in there, but is meant to pour out. But one of the things that that hour, that two hours out front taught me when I was sitting there thinking like, oh, this part's not fun, was that this is part of the deal. This is part of the formation, is actually sitting out there. And for my friend, who changes the marquee regularly, it seems like such a good discipline for him to go out there a couple times a week, if nothing else, to be like noticed and um, visible. When I was out there, a lady talked to me who was walking her dog and told me about how consoling it is to hear church bells, a conversation I would have never had if I was just in here trying to figure out what to say to you the whole time. Um, so this reminds me of a speech from Frederick Douglass, and there's a slide here with a picture of him. He's from the 1800s, and the slide says on it, I prayed for an answer for 20 years, but I didn't, I prayed for freedom for 20 years, but I didn't receive an answer until I prayed with my legs. And in that speech, he goes on to say that wanting change and justice and freedom without struggle is like wanting crops without plowing the ground, or wanting rain without thunder and lightning, or the ocean without the awful roar of its many waters. So even though church marquees and the abolitionist movement are worlds apart, the core, the core happening to me is the same. 
You know, I prayed for blank for 20 years and received no answer until I prayed with my legs. There's an invitation in this core longing, and it has to do with the fact that we do not just learn or grow or become our true selves by acquiring more knowledge. That is such a fallacy that I buy into all the time, thinking that I can think my way into learning. The truth is the, that I believe the way God designed us is that we learn by doing, by integrating things that we know. Richard Rohr has a famous quote you've probably heard. He said, we don't think ourselves into new ways of being. We live ourselves into new ways of thinking. And that's what I think this core longing, oh, hi, Andy, is um, talking about. That it's part of the way we're wired is not just to acquire more, but to do, to pray with our legs. It's not so much like an obligation or a command as much as it is a description of the way things work. So as I've been sitting with this core longing for a couple weeks, wondering like, what, what is hard about it? This, so we long for an outreaching love, for apart from authentic active service, there is no religion. So to me, outreaching love, we're talking about service, we're talking about social justice, we're talking about activism, we're talking about feeding the hungry, clothing those without clothes, offering hospitality to the stranger. Like we're talking about beatitudes in a big way. So I think most of us would say, yeah, that all sounds great. Why is this core longing so hard for us? Or why do we have so much baggage with it? Why do we disqualify ourselves from it so easily? And then I was in the lectionary in morning prayer and this little excerpt came from the disciples and Jesus and the way they responded to Jesus, I resonated with. So I think there's a slide for this too, yeah. It's right after Jesus says that, you know, if someone comes to you and is repentant, forgive them. If they come back seven times in the day, forgive them seven times. The disciples' immediate response is increase our faith. That's what they say. And I was like, that is so me. After hearing something hard or beautiful or kingdom of heaven-y, or beatitudes-y, my first reaction is like, oh my gosh, I just need more. I need more faith, I need more spiritual feelings, I need more time, I need more money, I need more education, probably need more articles, I need more books, I need to feel better, I need to talk better, I need to think better. That is such, at least for me, a default reaction to hearing something that sounds beautiful and hard at the same time. Even sounds like a holy response, like, oh, increase our faith. Jesus' reply to that, though, there's a slide for this, is, I tell you, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it will obey you. It's such a funny surprise, because it sounds like a holy request, increase our faith, and he's like, nice try. You're totally stalling, and you're barking up the wrong tree. If you have faith the size of a mustard seed, I don't even know how, you know, it's a seed, so small then this tree can grow in the ocean. It's such a weird reply. So I'll come back to that, but there's a couple slides to go through which you guys won't see, but <clears throat> 10 years ago, I was in a couple years into a community that did um, really big things. Like when I went to, I was a student at Trinity Western University and a couple of my good friends from my hometown in California I went to Trinity for college, they went to Eastern for college, and they met Shane Claiborne and Jonathan 
Hartgrove, and one of them married Jonathan. And then they started doing the Simple Way stuff. And so I would come from Trinity and go visit. And I'd walk around and, and see everything happening and think, like, I will never live here. Like, you need to be someone so different than me to live here and to do these things. And so some of the slides I have um, are some of the things this community did. And these pictures are from my time there. These are things that I ended up doing. So, you know, um, for Good Friday, churches and groups came together and always had a Good Friday vigil. And it was t-shirts with names of victims of gun violence on the name of the t-shirt. And that was the vigil with mothers talking about children who had died from gun violence that year. And then there were the protests outside of Calissimo's gun shop, which sounded like a long shot to, to close down this gun shop that had so many illegal gun sales. And they shut down because of the protests, actually, multiple. And then there's a picture of the 12 people that got arrested, and those are some of my friends, um, from this, these protests. And then there's another slide for the Homeless Day Memorial that Philadelphia has every year for homeless people that die without recognition or funeral. So everyone's holding the name of someone who had died that year. So it's like a public funeral. These are just like the annual things. The day-to-day -day life and weekly stuff was pretty intense, too. And um, there's a slide for this, too. But my favorite was the baby and kids' goods exchange. And that was monthly. And the idea behind that, there's a picture of the long line waiting before the baby goods exchange opened at our church. And um, in the morning, people would bring the sizes of the stuff and the toys and the goods that they didn't use anymore that they had grown out of, drop it off, volunteers would sort it all out into sizes, and then this line of hundreds of people would come through and take what they need, next month, outgrow it, bring it back. It just was this sustainable give and take, redistribution of resources. It was just some little idea that started one day and it grew into a monthly feature of life in this community. 20 years ago, if you asked me, like, what was the prerequisite for someone who needed to do, or who could, a community that could sustain this kind of active um, service in the world. I would have definitely said it was big things, like you need a lot of passion or a lot of extrovertedness or a lot of conviction. It was kind of like the disciples, like, oh, you need the big stuff, like increase our faith and then we'll be able to do it. Now what I think the prerequisite is for showing up in the world for the sake of the world is more along the lines of self-acceptance acceptance of the mustard seed size amount of faith and personality and influence in time that I actually have to give. It's kind of the same with anti-racist work. When this came to the fore again earlier this year in a bigger way, I thought if you're gonna engage in anti-racist work, you need a lot of conviction, a lot of education, a lot of confidence in order to do that. But the truth is, what I found out in a book group with people in the table, is that what's the virtue underneath anti-racist work is actually humility. It's the opposite of perfectionism. Perfectionism is what would keep me from doing anti-racist work. Humility is what allows me to do it. It's willingness to show up and not know how to get from the mustard seed to the mulberry in the ocean vision, which sounds amazing, but impossible, and saying, I'm willing to give what I have and to bring what I have, as, lim as limited as it might be. So humility was also the virtue at work in this story with the widow. There's a slide for it, but I'll read it. So in Luke 21, Jesus, that Andy read too, 
you know, he looks up and sees the rich people putting in their gifts in the treasury. And then he sees a widow put in two small copper coins. And he said, truly, I tell you, this widow has put in more than all of them. For all of them have contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, has given all she had to live on. So in God's economy, it's not the size of our faith or our spiritual feelings or our wealth that counts in outreaching love, but the courage to accept who I am, where I am, what I have, and the willingness to spend that, even if it doesn't seem like much. And the problem is that I tend to want to like perform my outreaching love out of my abundance, like these other givers in Luke 21. Like, I want to look good and feel good about what I have to give. That's how I'm interpreting abundance. Is like, oh, yeah, that was no big deal. That was so easy for me. Just kind of like skimming the surface. There's a lot more where that came from. It's kind of how I want it to all go down. But this is textbook white fragility in that it's white fragility is wanting to show up well and wanting to look good doing it rather than showing up for the sake of another who's being marginalized and coming in vulnerability and messing up and coming with limitations. So in anti-racist work, you've probably heard of this term on Facebook or Instagram, there's this idea of optical allyship, have you heard this, or performative allyship? Oh, it's so interesting. It's kind of like the optical illusion of being an ally. So this woman, Latham Thomas, describes it as serving or allying at the surface level, but to platform the ally. So it doesn't actually, um, it's allyship that doesn't take any real risks, so it's more symbolic than it is substantive. And this scene in Luke 21 feels a little bit like that. There's like some optical sacrificing going on because these people are giving out of their wealth. They're giving, but it's not really substantive. It doesn't really like cost them a lot. It's not very vulnerable. Yeah, but this widow is um, being a true ally, which is... Um, giving even when it costs something and it's vulnerable and it doesn't necessarily look like a lot. So my favorite definition of humility I read recently from Roberta Bondi and um, humility is one of those confusing virtues to me that I have a hard time like identifying with or understanding. She said according to the Desert Fathers and Mothers that humility is being able to take responsibility for what you have done without being humiliated by it. And isn't that radical? Thank you. Thank you. And um, it's also being able to receive thanks and praise for the gifts that you do have without overly identifying with them or attaching to them. So the real root of humility is this spiritual freedom to not have to be humiliated by mistakes that we make or our limitations and not overly attached and have like super high expectations of ourselves all the time. So I think my best reflection on this core longing is that at, at first, outreaching love seems like it's all about the big stuff, like the mulberry in the ocean, how do we get there? When I have more, I'll work on that. When really, I think outreaching love, it, the invitation there is about the small stuff. It's about accepting our background, our wiring, our stage of life, our personalities, and our willingness to see what we do have, even if it seems so little, and to see that stuff not as like a drop in the bucket, but as a seed. Like Jesus could have used any metaphor, 
But he said, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, and a seed is something that has within it the possibility of growing into this huge, crazy dream. So I think the invitation for me is to see what I do have to give as a seed, as something that can be planted. Um, okay, I feel like I should stop, but I have more to say. What time is it? It's already 19 minutes. Okay, let me just see if there's any... There's stuff about Jesus. There's a slide about that. He's very important. Um, I feel like I should just summarize. So skip all the rest of the slides. Okay, three summary points. R, um, think about Frederick Douglass, that slide. He prayed for freedom. He didn't receive an answer until he prayed with his legs. I think struggle, agitation, mundanity, you know, like being in our house on lockdown for the next couple weeks, taking care of aging parents, whatever it is that is the real situation of our lives right now, doing the dishes for the fourth time in the day. Take heart, all of that leg work is an invaluable part of our formation. I think that's one of the things this core longing says. It's not just like a necessary evil to get through on this side of heaven. I think it's a part of our formation and God knows that better than we do. Um, if you're like the disciples and like me and you think you need more in, in order to pour out your love or to give what you have, remember the widow who gave what she had out of her poverty, out of her limitation. Remember Jesus saying, all we need is a mustard seed size amount of faith. And a hit, there's a hymn I love, Come ye sinners, poor and needy, weak and wounded, sick and sore. If you tarry till you're better, you will never come at all. That could be like the whole talk, if you tarry till you're better, if you tarry till you have more to give or the right thing to give or a good-looking thing to give, you will never give at all. Um, humility is the virtue that's being flexed in this core longing, not confidence, expertise, pre precision, extrovertedness. It's being willing to make mistakes along the way. Howard Thurman says that humility cannot be humiliated. That's like one of the most freeing things I've ever heard. And Jesus models that, the meekness of the lamb that was led. Okay, and lastly, it, this is a, a lifelong project. Um, we long for an outreaching love. That is a lifetime project. God said, learn how to love other people, me and yourselves, and I'll give you your lifetime, whatever that is to work that out. So the goal is um, to keep going, like keep walking, keep talking. The walk informs the talk, the talk informs the walk. Um, maybe don't try to fail less, just fail better each time, a little bit better. Um, if your progress feels slow, that's good news. It can be good news because it teaches us to lay aside our perfectionism and our striving. And it's an opportunity every time to more deeply internalize God's love for us, which is what we're pouring out in the first place. So that's another one of those narratives that, that, we are, that I feel so rich in, which is that our failure and our limitations and our mistakes are not dead ends, but gateways into the unlimited and unconditional love of God, or they are seeds which can be planted in, or can be used by God to create God's dream, like the mulberry in the ocean kind of thing. Okay, I was talking fast to get it all in, but let me pray now. Okay, here's a prayer for you from, from Paul. 
I pray that God may grant that you may be strengthened in your inner being with power through God's Spirit. And that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith as you are being rooted and grounded in the poured out love of God. I pray that you may have the power to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the outreaching love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Now to God, who is able, by the power at work within us, is able to do abundantly far more with the mustard seeds, with our two coins, with our humanness, with our limitations, with our life stage, than all we ask or imagine. To God be the glory in this church and in Christ Jesus, to all generations forever and ever. Amen. That's why we praise listening to Table Radio, an extension of the life of the Table Church, a community in Victoria, B.C. Our mission together is to love God, love each other, and to love and bless our neighbors, so that we may see Christ revealed in common life. Music for this episode provided by the Preparation EP, written and arranged by Coco Relieve, and can be found at thetablechurch.bandcamp.com. To learn more about our community, please go to tablechurch.ca. Guide us That's why we praise you Our darkness cannot